This week on Developer Weekly. I would wake up at 2 a.m. and different components of the system would bounce around in the city and would come together. Now, before we start this episode, I want to ask you for a favor. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week, I'm talking with Oren Aini about RavenDB. Oren is the CEO of Hibernating Rhinos, which develops RavenDB, a NoSQL open source document database. Hibernating Rhino is such a cool name. Did you, you come up with that yourself? Yeah, uh, I really love uh, Rhinos for uh, an accident when doing a logo design uh, almost 16 years ago. <laughs> and uh, I was very heavily involved in the Inhabit project for many years. And ah. when I needed a name for my company, I, actually, when I needed a name for my podcast, which was, again, uh, over a decade ago, I chose Habit Iranus because it was funny. And then I needed a name for the company. And I said, hey, who cares about the name? And I chose <laughs> Habit Iranus. Now, try to imagine that I'm trying to uh, have someone, uh, oh, I'm working for Habit Iranus. And the usual response is, but, but Rhinos don't hibernate. <laughs> those sort of things it's uh, I love the name and I very much like Rhinos but uh, I, I probably should have thought better about the, about the company name at, uh, from the start uh, when you uh, name your kids then you typically go through oh uh, what are the typical insults for, that kids will use to say uh, for this <laughs> for uh, uh, this time stuff like that uh, I sh- should probably done the same for the, the company name because oh how do you spell that when I need an invoice <laughs> yeah. for something oh wow yeah. yeah well at least it's something that people can talk about uh, at parties like hey I work at ri- hibernating rhinos isn't that cool <laughs> yeah oh, okay so how did you first uh, get into software development uh, I always loved computers and I always knew that this is what I want to do. I'm talking, I, I think my first computer was an XT something. I remember mm. spinning up the machine and it would count the RAM and my machine would go all the way to 120 kilobytes of RAM. But I, there was another guy in the neighborhood that had 120 98 kilobytes of RAM. That was like, wow. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, my first program was probably in Logo. If you remember, there was the uh, green on black turtle that he told it for to go and stuff like that. Uh, I just can never remember myself not doing stuff with computers. And it was very natural for me to uh, go and uh, learn and understand this is what I always wanted to do, basically. Uh, I somehow got into software development, which was mm-hmm. actually a surprise. I thought that I would be... Um, I remember building my own computers and doing all sort, sort of stuff with hardware as a teenager. But as I uh, grew and started to learn more about how computer works, the software was like wow, I can understand that. And for me, hardware is just, you know, this magical thing that goes blinky-blink. Uh, I actually was at a conference at one point, and uh, we're talking about conference for high-end people. And one of the uh, sessions, which was a very impressive session, was, oh, let me show you how I can uh, use Arduino to uh, whenever I get an email, a lighter's on in the kitchen or something like that. Yeah. And if you think about that, that's really not that impressive. It's okay, I'm turning on a light in response to some very basic ifs in MicroPython. But the fact that 
you're looking at something physical happening was like wow that's like amazing i'm used to you know to oh uh, <laughs> some electrons have shifted and the value was changing memory and that's the most i can usually expect from a system suddenly yeah. stuff happens in the real world and that was like i i, I think i that blew my mind at the time yeah that that's uh, for me as well that's what the magic is isn't it you just <laughs> type things on the screen and then just things happen especially when they happen in the physical world that's mm-hmm. just magic it's amazing so uh when did you get interested in data and databases? Uh, I spent a lot of time in the, I mentioned that I spent a lot of time in the Enhamer project. And I remember looking at it and not understanding, and Enhamer is an object relation mapper. Uh, mm-hmm. It came from a Hibernate project in the Java world, which is, exists for 20, 25 years. And uh, if for people who are not familiar with that, there is the entity framework which is doing a much the same job of translating between your in-memory object model and the relational database. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is that I remember looking at it and saying, why would I ever need something like that? But I got into that and suddenly things start to make sense. And I actually became very heavily involved. I was a contributor for a, a long time, implemented a whole bunch of features, and I wrote a lot about that in, in my blog. And at some point, I just found that I'm doing almost 80, 95% of my time is spent at the database layer. And after a while, I become an independent consultant. And my job was to go from one company to another and help them make the database go faster. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about that is that there are many ways in which you can make a database go faster. And pretty much any DBA you care to name will tell you, will have some story about, oh, I went into this database and it was horribly slow and I created an index. And as a result of this index, the performance yeah. went up by a bazillion percent. <laughs> I did not do that. I absolutely, absolutely did not do that. What I did was go to an application and look at the interaction of the application with the database and fix that. Now, what does it matter? Because if you have a single slow query, it's relatively easy to analyze the system and says, oh, this index, this change will make everything go faster. But if you have an application where the a conversation that you have with the database is wrong. And by wrong, I mean that it is you approach it in the wrong fashion, then it's a much harder task. And the the example I I always love to give is, let's say that I want to show you uh, your most recent orders page. Yeah. which seems like, you know, I assume that you're an online shop or something like that, because this is a very simple example. Everyone is familiar with that. Assuming that you're an online shop, it seems really reasonable to expect that the user should be able to see their recent orders or the open order or something like that. Yeah. But then you start thinking, okay, how do I do that? I have an orders table. I have a product table. I have line items. I have discount. I have shipping uh, status, whole bunch of other stuff like that. So now I'm saying, okay, give me the uh, last 15 orders for a customer uh, 17, and you get the list, which is correct. This is uh, very simple. But then you realize that you actually need additional information that is located on other tables. For example, you might need to, to show the total dollar value of an order. So now you're saying, okay, uh, I got 15 orders, 15 recent orders from the system. Now, for each one of them, I need to issue a separate query to find out how much, uh, how many items and how much do they cost from the database. But yeah, notice that yeah. now you're actually going to issue 16 queries. One of them is to get the first 15 orders, and then another 15 queries, one for each order. Yeah. Now, this is what I mean when I'm talking about the interaction 
uh, uh, with the data with the database. The, the, the way that you phrase the questions can have a huge impact on the, uh, the behavior of the system. Now, there are ways that you can avoid doing this select n plus one issue. You can use joins, you can use uh, 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 in, there are all much of uh, alternatives that are available to you. But the problem is that all of them require non-trivial knowledge of the system, the, uh, the way that you interact with the database, the way that, you, uh, uh, the way that your uh, application behave, and that's really complex. And I did just that. I went to, comp to company to company for almost two years. And it was pretty bad because mm -hmm. I, tend to, uh, I tended to get to people who were smart, conscientious, uh, uh, really trying to do the best. And in one particularly notable example, I went to a customer where they spent well over seven figures on a single database server that was overloaded. Oh, jeez. Now, try to imagine seven figures. That was in 2008, 2009. And uh, the database server... And you can imagine that this uh, this cost they had dedicated DBAs and people who were constantly looking at the system, and yeah. it was always at the 85, 95% of CPU and memory utilization. My God. And, yeah. And when I started looking into that, and I just, and they kept telling me, okay, here is the database. Here are the array of tools that we have to analyze the database. I don't want to do that. Show me the application. And I realized that what they did, they had a really sophisticated security system. And by security system, I mean that you every UI element on the page, everything that had a class or ID yeah. could be visible, made it only, uh, uh, hidden, uh, uh, removed from the HTML, those sort of things. Yeah. So for each one of the UI elements in the page, they needed to issue a set of queries. Wow, that's going to be a lot of queries. Yeah, 17,000 queries per page load. Oh, my. <laughs> and just in case people don't understand, that's 17,000. Yeah. Now, uh, the really sad thing about that was that the more the... The more complex the user, the more costly the system. So the test system had relatively simple customers. So they didn't see that. Yeah. They, it only had, you know, few hundreds queries per page, which is still horrible, but in their system, it was manageable. But for the most complex users, for the people, you know, that's where they make the money, the system was barely usable. <laughs> And I, effectively, what I did there was spent almost two weeks writing a cache to avoid doing that, and it moved from being 85-95% busy to being 1% busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the cache was about 16 gigabyte. And what, the, yeah, what I effectively did was I, uh, instead of issuing queries to the database, I says, oh, I have an in-memory service that is going to hold all of that table's data and do all of the computation. And if you think about that, that is a still a horrible architectural decision. Yeah. But uh, it meant that a, a, a query, a, a page load went from being a, a 10 to 15 seconds to render the page to be in uh, just under 150 milliseconds. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, as I said, I did it quite a lot. And it was really, really getting to me that I kept seeing the same set of mistakes. Yeah. Even, you know what, let, let, let's take the uh, what, I think, what I believe to be the the most trivial annoyance that you can imagine. I want to do paging, which seems like you know a reasonable thing to want to do. I want to do paging in my system. 
Yeah. And in order to do that, I have to get two things from the database. One, I have to know, give me the first page of the results and tell me how many pages or how many items I have in the system. Yeah. And it turns out that you have to do two queries to get that. Yeah. And uh, if you're familiar, there is a, a wonderful a topic that I think every programmer should know. This is called the fallacies of distributed computing. And the idea here is that there is a whole set of fallacies that people assume while they are building a distributed application. And nowadays, every application is distributed. The moment that you have a database that is not running the same process as you are, you are distributed. And they just don't realize this is the case. Now, those fallacies including such as latency zero, bandwidth is infinite. Now, latency zero means that uh, the cost of query the database is zero. Now, yeah. let's assume that you have an infinitely fast database. It is capable of answering your any query that you ask it in zero milliseconds. Yeah. The time to get to the database is typically much bigger than the time that it takes the database to answer you. So the time it takes the the data to travel over the wire to the database and back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If right. you think if you think about it, if I'm issuing a query to the database, here's what I need to do. I need to, uh, and let's say that I'm using something like uh, anti framework or Hibernate or any sort of object relation map. Mm-hmm. I'm issuing a query. I'm probably using story type API, link, something of this nature. And what I'm doing, I'm a, I have to take the story type API and translate that into a SQL string. I have to create a, a, a database connection. Let's say that, uh, that this is already open. There's already a TCP connection open to the, uh, to the database. So I'm not paying for that. Yeah. But the uh, the cost that I now have to do is, okay, I have to create a SQL string. I have to create a new DB command. I have to send that command over the network to serialize the, uh, the command and send it. That means that in terms of TCP, I have to send at least one packet, depending on the size of the query, maybe multiple packets. And then I have to wait for packets from the network, read them, assemble them, translate them into in-memory objects and a whole bunch of other stuff like that. That is a huge amount of work that is required. Now, the good thing here is that computers are really, really, really fast. So we don't usually pay attention to that. We don't see all of those costs. But the moment that you start talking about a performance scalability, you realize that those are very real costs and things that are actually, they actually matter. Now, in many cases, uh, you have to understand what is what is the meaning of cost in this regard. So, it used to be the case that uh, the benchmark that you were aiming for is 20 requests per second per server, and that wow. that was uh, I'm talking about uh, 10, 15 years ago. That was where uh, Microsoft and MSN Search and those sort of things. That's what they aim for. 20 requests per second means that you're processing 1.7 million requests per day, which sounds like this is a lot. Just to give you some idea, I have a Raspberry Pi sitting in front of me. This is a $25 machine. On this Raspberry Pi, using RevenDB, I'm able to serve just over 13,000 queries per second on a sustained basis. <laughs> now, a Raspberry Pi has uh, two, three, you know, either one or two gigabytes of memory, four cores, and it is very well known for being subject to overheating. Yeah. So it is not a server machine. But just to give you the the... the the order of money, the difference between, oh, what I expect to get from a system and what I can get. And we had this, again, going back 10, 15 years ago, uh, we had this internet thing that happened. And everyone needed to be scalable and, and uh, 
being able to process lots of users and big data and stuff like that. And it turns out that distributed programming is something that is really, really hard because the moment you have multiple nodes in the system, you have to take into account that you're going to have divergence in the worldview. And yeah. the, example, the example that I like to give is I'm calling my wife to figure out if I should order Italian or Chinese for dinner. <laughs> and what happens if I can't reach her? So if I can reach her and, and ask her, do you like Chinese? Do you want uh, uh, Italian for dinner? That's easy. What happens if I can't reach her? I can not get dinner and I come home and maybe she got dinner, maybe she made dinner and uh, we can eat that. I can come home and she expected me to get dinner. I can come <laughs> home with the wrong dinner. No, there, there are a lot of age cases that you have to consider here. Yeah, you might an, end up in a fight. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the worst case, I got the wrong dinner and she already made dinner or she already got dinner and now you have some wasted food in here. But the, uh, so this is the most trivial example of a distributed computation. Now, if you're talking about distributed computation for a, that where you need consistency, then you have much higher level of latency and complexity in the system. I'm not going yeah. to, to touch on that. That's not related to the topic, but uh, the issue is that, again, going back to 20 requests per second as a, as an average call, that's really low. There was a there was a blog post a few years ago that tested how well you can process a data set that was in the hundreds of gigabytes using shell commands in Linux. So I'm yeah. talking about stuff like awk and sed and grep and stuff like that versus a Hadoop using distributed MapReduce. Yeah. The, uh, the same data set, hundreds of gigabytes, uh, using shell commands, was processed 235 times faster on the shell rather than Hadoop. And the end result is that as much as possible, you never want to go distributed because there are huge costs associated with that. In sometimes in terms of performance, a lot of time in terms of the complexity of the system as a whole. Right. So going back to when I started, I kept seeing people fall into the same mistakes. And again, if you have a system that is composed of non-trivial domain model, and uh, let me ask you this, what was the last project that you did that wasn't, you know, a weekend project? What was the model? It was uh, a model about... Uh clients and um, orders basically forms over data very very simple clients orders and companies forms over data is interesting how much complexity do they have in the form uh, well, the forms were relatively simple as in mm -hmm. a client can sign up so you have uh, your name your address mm -hmm. uh, a couple of other things company and the company can do the same thing and then it gets a bit more complicated where people can then order stuff where they can say, well, I want one of these and one of these, uh, maybe two of these items, and then I have an invoice uh, address. So relatively simple. Mm -hmm. But the invoice may, you may be invoiced for multiple orders at the same time. Yeah, definitely. So now you have a, an issue of, okay, I want to show you an invoice, but in order to show you an invoice, I have to go and fetch related data for multiple orders. Each one of yep. these orders may contain multiple items on their own. And now I have to do some, maybe I have to do calculate the shipping charge. And suddenly the very simple model that you have in your head tells into when you look at the amount of queries that are sent over the wire into something utterly ridiculous. Yeah, I know. And the order page was actually pretty complicated to create just because of that, because I had to get uh, data from multiple places. Mm -hmm. And now try to imagine that uh, you're, do, you, you're doing that and you have a hard constraint on the performance of the system under load. So not just one or two users, but let's say 100 users happen in the same time. And yeah. 
that's where I kept finding myself. And I kept running into people who were deploying caching and multiple layers of indirection and queues and a bunch of other stuff just in order to to keep up with the system. Yeah. And yeah. it's... Uh, I, I just got so tired of seeing this level of complexity, not because people were uh, ignorant or unable to understand what they were doing. They were just playing, uh, they were just using their own tool for the job. And I kept yeah. dreaming, oh, I really, really want a database that would just work there, that, that I could just hear the set of features that I need for, me, for a business application. And I just wanted to fit no no adjustment necessary no need to you know jump to hoops and at some point it really it bugged me enough that i sat down and started writing the uh, design document here's yeah. how my ideal database would, would look like and i never actually intended to make that into a, a product a database oh, yeah. is a huge thing you don't want to build a database uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's ridiculously huge the the amount of depth that you have to to go to to create an, a proper database. But the uh, I started thinking about that, and then I started. You know what? I have a free weekend. Let's sit. Let's sit and see what it takes to write this. And. Three months later, I realized that uh, my usual work day goes like this. I get up, work for 12 hours on this database project. And then because I still needed to eat, I have to go and spend another eight hours working on, you know, paid customers, which was really annoying because why are you bugging me for doing this wonderful, interesting <laughs> thing with, the, uh, with this database? And yeah. at the end of the day, I basically just sat down and says, okay, I have a problem. I can't actually continue that because the time for sleep kept getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I actually sat down this point and says, okay, I have to make this in, I, I have to uh, uh, cut it or, uh, uh, or make that into something that I get paid to do. And I actually never consider that someone would pay me to do that. So I set up a plan that says, okay, this is how much money I'm willing to spend failing. I was absolutely yeah. certain that I'm going to fail that. And, but I said, okay, I, I have to get it. I would wake up at 2 a.m. and different components of the system would bounce around on the ceiling and would come together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I decided to make that into a, something that, that would make money for me. And 10, 11 years later, it has been in production for, for a decade and used quite extensively by a lot of people. And we got to the point where it serves the stated purpose. If you build a business application using RevenDB, the, a lot of the concerns that you typically have are just not there. And it means that you're free to just focus on your system and not on a struggling with the database. Right. And at the same time, we spend a lot of time on performance. I mentioned that we can do 13,000 reads on Raspberry Pi. Just to give you some realistic numbers, on a reasonable production node, we can do 1.5 million queries per second. Ooh, that's a lot. To, yeah, I'm talking to you about commodity hardware. Not, you know, uh, really high-end stuff. Uh, the, the rules that we have is I give my benchmarking guy $1,000. He goes and gets a machine, and we see how much, it, uh, uh, how much we can get out of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but th that was the idea, and this is how we got here. Now, when I started working on RevenDB, uh, uh, I didn't actually, I mentioned, I, don't, I, didn't want to, I didn't set out to be the database. That was very clear for me that this is a, the wrong decision to go, the wrong way to go to. <laughs> but uh, when I look at all of the relational databases, all of them suffer from much the same issues. The impedance mismatch between the in-memory model 
and the way the data was persisted was jarring. I gave the example of the orders and the customers, the products, and all of the joints and multiple queries that they have to make. But uh, that you know that that was a database. That's how everyone worked. And then I realized there was also this thing called NoSQL databases. A NoSQL database is somewhat of a misnomer. The idea here is that this is a database that uses that doesn't use the relational model. And they are key value store, document database, graph databases, and table, table family databases. And I looked into all of them, and a document database was exactly what I needed to do for OLTP system, for business applications. Because it matched very closely how the business thing, it was perfect for what I needed. So I went and looked into the state of the art at that time. We're talking about 2007, 2008. Yeah. And there were quite a few NoSQL databases in the market at the time. And all of them had various severe issues from my perspective in terms of functionality and usability. Uh, the Probably the most important issue that uh, we saw was that, that I saw was that Almost none of them were ACID. Now, ACID is a really important property of databases, and it basically means, am I keeping your data safe? If if you told me, here is some data, and I told you I got it, what happened? Is there any edge case that would cause you to lose it? Now, ACID stands for Atomic Consistent Isolated and Durable. And I'm not going to go into the detail about all of that, but the basic thing goes like this. If I'm, if, if you give me a, a, some piece of data to a database, and immediately after I told you I got it, I crashed, is the data safe or not? That's that's the, the whole point. And right, because you want your data to be safe because it's super important. It yes. could be customer data or something. Yes, like it can be, you know, this million-dollar order. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other thing is that is the change atomic? Now, let's say that, and the, the classic example here is that I want to transfer money from my account to your account. Mm-hmm. Now, there are two options here that are perfectly valid from my perspective. Money is deducted from my account and show up in your account. Or nothing happens. Yeah. The invalid results is that there should not be money missing from my account that doesn't show up in your account. And there should not be money showing up in your account without money going from my account. I mean, I would like that. I assume you would do. <laughs> but uh, from a business perspective, that's a frowned upon. Yeah. Also yeah. from a fraud perspective. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But so what's the, what's the issue here, basically? Most of the NoSQL systems didn't have any of the ACID properties. There was oh. a popular uh, uh, there was a popular database at that time where they would tell you that they uh, uh, you you made the right, you wrote some data to the database, yeah. and they would write it to the uh, uh, socket and tell you I'm done. Notice that they wrote it to the socket. They did not even wait for the data to leave the current machine. (laughs) And already told you that this is done. Now, this was amazing for benchmarks. Of course, yeah. Yeah, but not so good when you actually needed, you know, data persistence and relational things. Now, another important issue here is that if you don't have the ACID properties, a developer needs to take that into account and to manage that. Now, again, going back to one of those databases, they had a very nice example on how you can implement two-phase commit system on top of their database. Now, I don't know if you ever tried to implement a, a, a transactional system from scratch where the underlying system doesn't have any transaction properties, 
But that <laughs> no. page went on for about 15, 20, that, that uh, uh, guy, 20 or 50, 15 or 20 pages oh, of God. very carefully constructed system. Oh, you can do that on your own. And that's like, you don't get to be the database without having transactions. That's abdicating your responsibility. It's like saying, oh, give me my money. Give me a, a bank saying, give me your money and maybe you will get some of it back. That's not a bank. That's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so when I, when I set out to build a, a Raven, I had a very clear goal in mind. I wanted to build a document database that is a, a that is transactional, that user don't have to think about that, that it is going to have a sort of feature that I aim at making business application easy, and it has to be approachable. Again, going back to the database at the time, it running them and managing them was like juggling knives. Yeah. Everything, as long as you are doing well, it's really amazing. But then you sneeze and you have to pick up your fingers off the floor, except that you can't because your <laughs> fingers are on the floor. Now, uh, 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 it sounds silly, but I actually had to go and uh, build a user interface for the system to make it visible what's going on, where other uh, databases gave you, oh, here is a console where you can write javascript and get some details back and like okay yeah. that works but where is the why aren't you making it easy for me to to do that so this is how we get started we uh, we built a whole bunch of features around the those core ideas but even to these days some of the uh, important features of mdb are things that we did in 2010 just to give you two examples, remember that I told you that uh, uh, the pages scenario that you need to do two queries to the database? Yeah. Well, with RevenDB, whenever you make a query to the database and you ask for, give me the first 10 results, a byproduct of the query already tells you how many results you have in total. So you can- oh, That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And it, it doesn't actually cost anything extra for the database to do that. But because this is a scenario that I'm familiar with, I just made it easy. Another yeah. really common example is, a, let's talk about um, your orders page. You typically don't need to just show me the last 15 orders or something like that. You have to go and fetch data from multiple locations. Show me this user's address. Show me the, uh, the, uh, the customer name. Show me this... Uh, recent orders, show me, there's a whole bunch of details that you have to do. And they're typically not necessarily related to one another. Yeah. With RevenDB, we have a feature called lazy queries, where you issue a query, but we, are, we aren't actually sending that to the database. We'll give you a lazy object back. Now, why are we doing that? Because the idea here is that you're able to issue Multiple, you're able to generate multiple queries. So you say, okay, give me the details about this user. Give me the uh, uh, orders for this user. Give me the uh, recent orders for this user. And at up until this point, no queries were made. This is just updating an in-memory uh, client-side uh, system with lazy, ob lazy objects. Now, when you try to access one of those lazy, ob lazy objects, the client side is going to aggregate all of the pending queries that you have and send them to the server in one round trip. So in this case, you have three or four queries that are being sent to the server as a single round trip. Now, what does it matter? It matters because when you're sending the data, most of the cost is actually on the cost of reaching the database. Yeah. Now, Let's say that going to the database costs you three, three milliseconds. So, and the cost of processing the queries altogether is one millisecond. Yeah. So, on the one hand, you have three separate queries. Each, each one of them is costing one millisecond. So, you're at 12 milliseconds just to start with. 
most of yeah. that time frame yeah. is just spent on going back and forth to the database. It's like going to the store and saying, okay, I need meat. Let's go to the store. Come back. Oh, I forgot I also need bread. Let's go to the store. No one does that. <laughs> I mean, just yeah, because yeah. of gas and time is horrendous. And But WDB has this feature, okay, I can send all of this code in one shot to the database. So instead of spending 12 milliseconds, you spend 4 milliseconds. And yeah. there's a whole bunch of features like that. One of the things that I really love is a I'm not sure if uh, the term love, that's one thing that I hate with relational databases is that they allow you to make stupid queries. Stupid, que- <laughs> stupid queries such as, oh, I want to give me all of the users that uh, uh, based on the registration date ascending. Perfectly yeah. fine. The I've database, done that. Yes, and the database will give you those results. Now, what happens if you have in development 150 users. This is a really speedy query. Oh, yeah. In production, you have 1.5 million users and you run this query. There is no index on the registration date. So what the database needs to do behind the scenes is grab 1.5 million items, sort them, and then give you the first 10 of them, yeah. which is a hugely expensive operation. Yeah. But you tend not to see that. And again, uh, I, I used to be called in many cases where, okay, the database hits 50-60% of the uh, system resources. We don't know what's going on. And then I would, I would go in and say, oh, here are a few cases where you are issuing queries with no indexes. And here are the cases where you're issuing many, many queries to the database for no absolutely no reason. Yeah. With Raven, one of the things that uh, we did very early on was we implemented automatic indexing system. So going back to give me all of the users by a registration data sending or descending, what this will do, this query will go to the query optimizer in RavenDB. And the query optimizer, we try to find the appropriate index for this uh, for this query. If there isn't an appropriate index, RavenDB will then do something really interesting. It will say, okay, I have to go and scan through the entire dataset. While I'm doing that, I'm going to generate as a byproduct an index so the next time I have this sort of query, I'm able to process it that much faster. Ah, wow. Now, this sounds like, a, I'm describing that in a few minutes, but this has some profound implications on your system because you're able to do things, you're able to write queries and modify your system and as you modify your queries, RavenDB will just adjust. And it will know, oh, these indexes are in use, this index is not in use, we need to merge those indexes. Basically, all of the uh, typical responsibilities of DBAs to maintain and care for the database are now managed for you automatically. I really love the comparison to cars, where if you remember, uh, it used to be the case that you drove stick shift cars, and uh, part of the car ownership ritual was that, okay, every week or two, there has to be the uh, the maintenance of the car. Yeah. Check up the air, fill up the uh, the oil, make sure there are no leaks anywhere, all of, all of those sort of things. And that was just the sort of thing that you did. Yeah. Now, in my current car, the only time that I do something like that, there is a light that turns on that says, oh, we need to, you need to take it to the garage for the uh, routine maintenance. And that's it. I don't think about that. And the car is automatic, so I don't need to think about how the gear shift broke. And that's the kind of difference in quality of life that we're thinking about, we we're talking about, that you don't need to micromanage everything and be bothered by all of those sort of things. They yeah. just spoke as they should. You don't need to think about running it. You just use it. Yes. Now, think about the implications of, oh, I made changes to my system. I changed queries. In a relational database, that means that you have to go through the entire performance evaluation system from scratch. Yeah. In our system, RevenueWizard says, okay, you change things, I will adjust. 
There are a whole bunch of other features that uh, that we have in RavenDB that are also interesting. We have the notion of MapReduce indexes that allow you to do aggregation over a large set of data very fast because we already compute the aggregation. We're able to update that on the fly. For example, let's say that uh, I'm, uh, what happens if I would ask you, count me the number of cars that go through this street and give me the total by color. Now, one way of doing that would be every time that a car goes by, you write down car uh, uh, 1147 red, yeah. Uh, yeah. truck 1148 blue. And when I ask you, you're then going to go through the entire list and give me the, uh, uh, the, the computer total. This is yeah. what the relation of database does. It means that every time that you ask the question, you have to run through the entire computation. And that's at large data scales that can be hugely expensive. Yeah, in many, absolutely. in many cases, I'm sure you run into that. If you need to do reports, the cost of running the reports, even when the data size isn't that big, we're talking about uh, hundreds of thousands, low millions of records, running the report can be uh, uh, multiple tens of seconds, multiple minutes in some cases, hours are not out of the question to generate yeah. the report. So you say, oh, I will run the report over the weekend or at midnight. So the report that you see is always a few days late. But what happened if I ask you to do that and what he did was says, okay, you know what? I'm going to create a, a table for uh, red car, blue car, green car, etc. And every time that a car goes by, I'm just going to increment that number. Right. Now, whenever yeah. I ask you what is the, uh, what is the, how many cars went through the, how many red cars went through the system, you're able to give me that information instantaneously because you already did that. All of the work has been done. And the cost of doing this work is every time a red car goes by, increment the number. This is how RevDB implement MapReduce, and that allows you to do aggregation very, very cheaply. And again, I'm talking about the difference between, oh, can you give me the total number of orders that were made by this customer? And in the relational database, this is select some of orders from uh, uh, orders, join order lines, join costs, something like that. And that's not a big complex query. Couple of joins and a group by. Yeah. But what's the problem here? The problem here is that if you have an untrivial amount of data, especially for the large customer, the one that you really care about, there is a, a linear relations to how much a query costs. So now you say, okay, you want me to put one number on the screen. That means that I have to create a, a off-hours report generator and put it somewhere and make sure that I have monitoring on that and make sure that uh, if, the, uh, if the value breaks, if the uh, query breaks, I don't need to, I'm not showing you out-of-date information or much of other stuff like that. Suddenly putting one number on the screen is a multi-days project. With yeah, Raven, yeah. you say, okay, I'm going to ask Raven B to do that. And one of the other things that is very important about Raven is that this is a document base. So your order isn't actually composed of many uh, individual values that are just floating around and have to be joined together. An order is typically a single document, which means that aggregation operations are much, much easier. So I can just say something like, okay, give, uh, uh, give me sum of total from orders go by customer ID. And yeah. once you've done that, Revenue will maintain that for you. And whenever you ask how many orders do I have, what is the sum total of orders for this customer, the information is just there, already pre-computed. Again, same as I'm asking you how many red cars went through this intersection. Yeah. Wow. There, yeah, there are other features I, that we have we started with document database. And document, in this case, means a JSON document. And if you think about it, uh, JSON has pretty much one. I don't know if you remember the XML days and the agony. Oh, yeah. Of, uh, should this be a 
element or attribute or array of elements and uh, what about XML spaces and not much of other stuff like that. But oh, yeah. uh, it was horrible. Yeah, I, I'm sure some people that started a bit later don't know about XML and have never uh, had to deal with XML. Congratulations on you. Yeah. Because it uh, sucked. Yeah. <laughs> At least I think that uh, people still run into XML quite often, but all of the baggage that we had to deal with, namespaces in particular, just, okay, went away. We, we're, we're not seeing that anymore. But uh, the idea with JSON is that this is a really nice format to store arbitrarily complex data. And yeah. I like to compare a document database to physical documents in the real life. Now, think about uh, an invoice and how this is structured when you hold an invoice in your hand. You have, here is the invoice, this is how much you paid, this is uh, the payment detail, here are the list of all of the items that you purchased and stuff like that. And you translate that on a one-to-one basis into the document model. So right from the start, just because you have this appropriate document model, you are in a much better position. Why yeah. is that? Because uh, when you talk to the business, you don't have to explain, oh, this is how to get this because this is some other table. Here's the document. Show me, here's this field. Where do you want it? How do you want me to do this computation? It's much, much simpler. There's much less translation work involved between you and your uh, and your database and the system analysis and all of that. Once we built... Document, once we built the notion of documents, we started adding additional features. For example, uh, if you want to deal with binary data, then with RevenDB, you can store data as attachments. And that's very similar to how you store attachments in email. This is uh-huh. a, some binary data that is, is associated with a document. So you can now say things such as, oh, I'm now running, a, I'm now adding an employee photo. An employee photo or, you know, a signatory on a list or something like that. This is something that is very easy for me to work with because this is an attachment to the document. We, after we looked at that, we said, oh, you know what, this is pretty cool. And we started adding new, more features of this nature. And probably the most important of them were a time series. And the idea here is that uh, if you have a value that change over time and you want to track the, uh, the change itself. A good example of that is I'm wearing a smartwatch and it measures my heart rate. Yeah. So I so I don't actually care that at any particular point in time what my heart rate was. But I really care about, okay, what is my average heart rate on a daily basis for the past two years? Yeah. So that means that you have to store quite a lot of information because I think that this uh, this watch capture one or two measurement a second time eighty six thousand seconds a day time three sixty five that comes to quite a large number. Yeah. So we have support for doing time series and then computation of the time series. Uh, aggregation, all of the usual stuff. And we also have support for something called distributed counters. This is really useful if you have something that changes frequently. A good example of that is uh, download counter, number of likes on a page, those sort of things. Something that is expected to have multiple users mutated at the same time. And you want it to converge into the right value instead of uh, multiple users having to effectively go into a, a traffic jump trying to update the uh, particular value. Yeah. RevenDB is also distributed. And I, I ran pretty hard on the distributed computing side. And I did it because I've been working with distributed database for the past decade and something. And distributed computing is complicated. And as much as possible, you want to not do that. But at the same time, in today's world, if you're running on the cloud, it's actually very common that a machine just goes poof. And yeah, yeah. that means that you have to take into account, it used to be the case that you know a machine, you could assume as a developer that my server will run. And if the server did not run, that's not my fault. That's the fault of the uh, uh, 
Operation people, go shout at them. They are at fault. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, but these days when you have the cloud, a machine is actually expected to go down, which means that you have to take into account that a, a fair availability, which was something that you only need to consider for the very high-end systems. Yeah, you should have always done that, I think, because obviously your system could have always gone down. But like you said, back in the day, we didn't uh, think like that and we didn't program like that. So now everybody thinks about that and everybody needs to think about, well, what happens when I can't read this, the database, for instance? Mm -hmm. So with, with RevenDP, what happens is that RevenDP is actually a, a multi-primary a system that means that you can typically a RevDB cluster would de deploy on three different nodes on three different availability zones and once you have done that and that typically take a couple of minutes then RevDB takes over and if a node goes down then the remaining nodes and the clients will work together to ensure zero effective uh, a user visible change to the system because it would be transparent failover from the down node to the other nodes. And once the node come back up, it will not immediately rejoin the active group. It will uh, sit in rehab and uh, get up to date with all of the uh, uh, changes that happened when it was down and all, the, all of the sort of things. So, wow, yeah. yeah. Again, we, we spent... I think that the guiding principle that we have for RevenDB is that I just want it to work and I want as much as possible to have a very clear line delineating who is responsible for what and for the safety of your data, for the uh, features such as uh, ACID or uh, distributed computer, stuff like that. This is what RevenDB is for. You push it to RevenDB, RevenDB manage that. And then what you're in charge of is building your own system, building a, 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 the business model, the memory, whatever you want, and not, not needing to think about, oh, I have to create these indexes, I have to uh, make sure that I remember these six different roles in order to make sure I have appropriate performance and those sort of things. Yeah. So I think... Uh... RavenDB sounds like an incredible database. So if you want to use a, a document database that will fit, obviously, your application, and you don't want to worry about running it and maybe want to run it in the cloud and have that run it for you and have that fail it over for you, then RavenDB is a very good choice for you. So where can people go to learn more about RavenDB and get started? You can go to RavenDB.net. There is also cloud.revendb.net and there is a free option available. I should mm. mention that RevenDB actually runs both on-premise on, on the cloud. So you're able to, and it's very common actually to do that, you have a hybrid cloud or a, maybe you are just distributed in many locations and a, you can actually run RevenDB in all of those locations and join them together into a single whole. Uh, ah. I mentioned that RevenDB actually runs on a Raspberry Pi and the reason, yeah. I, the reason we have that is I have some users who are running RevenDB inside of industrial robots so oh, you have wow. a whole bunch of robots on the uh, on the factory floor and all of them and the reason you do that is that these robots needs to maintain tracking of everything that they do but what happens if I don't have internet connectivity you don't yeah. stop the uh, the factory because you lost the internet. So the own robot RevenDB instance will aggregate everything, and it is going to be replicated that information to a certain location, either on the uh, factory itself or in the cloud. If there is no internet connectivity, we just batch all of those changes internally, and the rest of the robot doesn't care. It keeps writing and working properly with the local instance that it has. But from the point of view of the administrator, it's, oh, I can see, I can pull up the, re the report and see, okay, robot 37A is currently a, a showing sign that it would need maintenance cycle within 24 hours, stuff like that. And that's 
near real time. So we're talking about uh, a delay of twice the ping time from the robot to the cloud, typically within 10 to 15 milliseconds. Wow, that is amazing. So you can run it in a cloud, you can run it on-premises, even on a Raspberry Pi, and I assume also on your local development machine. Mm-hmm. The, actually, if you have Docker, Docker run RevitB slash RevitB will give you a RevitB instance. Right. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. I think uh, that's uh, our time for today. Thank you very much for teaching me everything about RavenDB. And I hope people check it out at ravendb.net and uh, get started there, as there is also a free option to get started. Thank you very much for for taking the time to explain this to me. This has been another episode of Developer Weekly, and we'll talk to you next week. This episode is brought to you by me. If you like this show and you want to support it, please visit my courses on Pluralsight and buy my new book, 200 Things Developers Should Know, which is about programming, career, troubleshooting, dealing with managers, health, and much more. You can find my Pluralsight courses and the book over at www.developerweeklypodcast.com slash about. That is www.developerweeklypodcast.com slash about. 